Welcome to the CobraCast with the present VP. For this episode, we would like to thank these valued partners. Is your scratched window ruining your view? Starting from scratch to your experts at removing scratches from windows and any glass surface. Whether it's general scratches around the home or a knife graffiti tag shop front, they can remove it. They're also helping the environment by saving the window from being dumped into landfill while bringing the glass back to its former glory without the scratches. Don't replace your scratched window. Repair it with Starting From Scratch, your glass and scratch removal specialist for home, shop fronts and cars. Call today for a quote, 87595629 or find out more at startingfromscratch.com.au. Well, welcome to this episode of the Coppercast with the President VP. I'm the host, Ricky Rifty, the Prez Logan, and my co-host is missing again due to scheduling conflicts now that we're back back to pretty much normal here in Melbourne. Uh, we couldn't get on the line together and, and record this intro, but uh, today we have Alan and Laurie joining us from the Sussex Swans. Uh, it was a great chat a few weeks ago. Um, so enjoy this one. Unfortunately, it does come to an abrupt end due to some technical difficulties, but uh, it was right near the end anyway. So we got most of the chat in. So enjoy this one with Alan and Laurie from the Sussex Swans. And next time you see us, we'll hopefully be doing a wrap up of our round one game. So thanks and enjoy this. All right. So today we're joined by by Alan and Laurie from the Sussex Swans. Thanks for joining us, guys. No problem, fellas. Pleasure to be here. Uh, no, it's our pleasure. Thanks for jumping on the line and chatting to us about footy over there in Sussex. Um, before we get into everything, all all Sussex Swans, we'd just like to know how, how you each came across Aussie Rules over there in the first place. Um. Well, I'll go first. It's funny. I'd been here. I arrived here back in 2001. And that was the days where I still remember there was no footy on telly. And we had to go to a walkabout on a Monday night where they would physically fly videotapes of the Friday night game and play them on the Monday, which just seems ridiculous now because it's just all on. I can watch any game live on my phone. So I think because of that, I lost touch with footy a little bit. Um, but it was, I got back into it about five years ago here. And it was through Alan, actually. I was just on Facebook, noticed that there was a game local to me down in Brighton. I live near Brighton. Came down to watch, had some boots in the back. And uh, I remember there was, some of the guys just said, I'll just come and have a kick. And I was like, yeah, okay. Did all right. And really enjoyed the, the camaraderie of everyone. And that was it. I was hooked. Been playing at Brighton ever since. Yeah, You're from, a bit longer, Alan. <laughs> yeah, from my point of view. So I'm, I'm from Scotland, uh, soccer background. Um, but I was, uh, I was playing five sides at work one day. Um, we've got a guy, Paddy Fitzgerald. He's from Perth, and Paddy said to me, "Cause he knew that I, I liked Aussie Rules. It was, it was shown on TV. Um, there was a little." snippet on a program called Transworld Sport every now and then. Um, so I'd seen a bit of the game, quite liked it. And um, Paddy says, after football, after soccer one day, he says to me, look, mate, he says, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but I think you should come and play Aussie rules. So I was like, what do you mean? He says, well, 
basically it boiled down to the fact that I was crap at football. Um, but I liked to run about a bit and I didn't mind getting physical. So we went and played a game with the Swans up in Crawley. But unfortunately, that game, in that match, Paddy broke his collarbone. And uh, I was like a little kid. My pal's not able to go, so I'm not going. <laughs> I fell away from it for a couple of years until my wife was actually at work up in Scotland with one of her colleagues. Um, he mentioned that he, he was Australian and he mentioned to someone about um, Aussie Rules and the Aussie Rules team and stupidly my wife said, oh yeah, my, my husband played for them once and of course he was fully switched into recruiting mode. Um, so that was me back into it and that was, um, that was about 15 years now. I wish I'd never played soccer, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I wish I'd never played it. That's a, that's a fair point. Um, I don't know why many do. <laughs> <laughs> myself kills me kills me to watch it these days the you know phrases like he's entitled to go down and stuff like that like, oh. no he's not he's entitled to be a big boy and stand up <laughs> <laughs> and we've we've both got um nine-year-old sons and uh, of course getting them uh trying to get them involved in footy like we've both got them involved in our footy tipping competitions trying to steer them towards Aussie rules, but gee, soccer here is just so strong that it, it's really hard. It's just I can't help myself. I even referee, he's, I even say referee and not umpire. What am I doing? Um, you know, I even referee some of his matches. It's, um, you can't help it. It's just too strong here. Well, I don't referee his games anymore. I did, but um, there was one match. So there's what he says. There, um, Alexander, my son's eight-year-old. But I think he was, it was a year, two years ago, maybe. I'm refereeing, and one of the little kids is standing over a free kick, and they just, you know, the little kids don't really know what they're doing. He's taken forever to take this free kick, and I just got bored and I shouted, Play on! <laughs> <laughs> and all the kids looked at me. <laughs> that's such an Aussie rules thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Oh, shit, wrong sport. <laughs> <laughs> So after that, I was like, nah, we'll, we'll let someone else referee. <laughs> yeah. we, do, we, we do at Sussex, though, you know, we try to encourage the kids to come along. Um, you know, both Alexander and my son, Sam, both join in in training and, you know, they're more than welcome. And as they get bigger and older, you know, hopefully that's the next generation, really. Um, so we, we try and encourage kids to come down whenever we can. Yeah, you just got to keep reminding them that not every kid can earn hundreds of millions of dollars playing soccer. <laughs> well, unfortunately not. Yeah, there is a kids there is a kids club in London, um, the Clapham Cubs, um, that do like it's a bit like Oz Kick sessions um, in the summertime. They have like one a month. But, you know, we're both taking our boys up to that just, just to get you know get them interested and get them some proper training. You know, obviously it's one thing training with with adults; it's another with 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 other kids. Um, you know, we've even tried things here with local schools. Like I've done a clinic in, in Sam's school, for example, but it's, it's, it's just harder to sort of get a foothold. Yeah, we're getting, trying foothold. getting the foothold, Laurie, isn't it? And then getting the momentum. Yeah, that, that's we the had... thing. It's probably, probably we need teenagers because they could actually join as such um, rather than primary school kids, which, which ours are both in. 
But we'll see, you know, hopefully both of our boys might entice a few mates down, you know, as they get older. And that's kind of where we might see some momentum. Because all you need, it's no different to when I first joined the, the, the Swans, you know, I was coming to training and, and Alan can, you know, concur on this. You know, we were sometimes getting five, 10 at training, sometimes even less before I was here. But then suddenly you get a snowball effect of, you know, we're getting training numbers now up to 40, 50 people coming. Um, which for us, which not that long ago is quite a small club. We, we've started to really develop numbers and that's just as word spreads. You know, people bring mates along and people from other codes. Like we've got quite a few Gaelic players that have come into the, you know, that have crossed over as well. And that only grows the club. Well, back in, I started the club in 2009. And at the start of, uh, I think it was 2008, I think the week before round one, I was told that they had, I think six blokes on the track for Thursday night before round one. Fast forward to 2012, we had over 100 blokes on our list, four teams running around. So we definitely understand, definitely know that you know the not many players to numbers burst into the seams um, that you guys are going through at the moment. So unfortunately, we're back down to uh, you know not many blokes, and hopefully we can pick that back up in 2021 and you know beyond. Fingers crossed for you. Yeah, yeah fingers That's crossed. That's the thing with our league here. A lot of, you know, AFL London, AFL England, no one's quite sure what the uh, the impact of COVID is going to go. When we get back on the track, it'll be interesting to see, you know, potentially how many have gone back to Australia in, in respect to a lot of the London clubs. We're not so affected here down in Brighton because, you know, our players are local to the area. Uh, we've got a really good, um, strong, cohesive unit. So socially, as well as playing or playing footy, I guess as well as a club, we're not reliant so much on Aussies. Like, yeah, I'll put my hand up and say a lot of our Aussies are our better players. No, not me included. I'm the, <laughs> the old fat guy that sits in the forward line and doesn't do much, but uh, not chasing anyway. But, um, you know, Definitely we've got quite a lot of uh, English, Irish, you know, players uh, from all over Um Europe really that, that, that play for us so that, that's been handy for us as a club that we're not so Australian reliant Yeah. sorry boys I need to keep uh, this is a constant battle English, Irish what about so Scottish, Scottish you know? oh and Scottish yeah of course <laughs> can't forget the Scots <laughs> <laughs> well um, so we know in uh, England as a whole there there's quite a few different leagues throughout England so what league are you guys actually playing in we just joined AFL London. Well, it was supposed to be our return to AFL London last year. Um, prior to that, we'd always played in the Southern League. So there were teams down here along the South Coast. Um, and in recent times, we'd also gone out West to include like Bristol and Cardiff. Um, but for us, we thought to grow as a club, we, we needed to join London because that's where the majority of the teams are. And plus it's easier on travel, being honest. Uh, we can get back to, you know, up to London and back in a day, no problem. Whereas some of the teams further afield, it meant that it was weekenders. Which Cardiff was, uh, was always, a five-hour. Yeah, Cardiff always was difficult a to explain to the missus how uh, on a Saturday morning you say, I'm off to play footy, uh, I'll, I'll see you Sunday night. You'd always get a raised eyebrow at that, funny enough. <laughs> so, yeah, we joined the London League last year. So we're hoping that the season goes ahead this year. Um, that's where we'll be playing with, with the teams up there. Oh, Brighton's about an hour. On the train, it's about an hour south of London. If you look at London on a map due south, you'll hit the coast. London on sea, 
what some people refer to it as, but that, that's where we are, Sunny <laughs> Brighton. We've got blokes at our club that tell their missus uh, going off to play footy on Saturday morning, I'll see you Sunday night, and completely different <laughs> reasons, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and that's for a home match. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, the fact that you, you, you say you're now going to play clubs that you'll be able to get to in a, and home in a day, and we're, you know, our furthest travel is half an hour for a game. So um, the fact that you were traveling five hours each way for games in the past is pretty remarkable. And um, hopefully, yeah, the less travel means more players that get interested in it. And Yeah, it, and, it was uh, always a battle to make sure you had numbers for the away trips. Um, and, yeah, and likewise, clubs coming to us, you know, making sure we had an opposition that, that, that could come. I think what can be a problem sometimes, boys, is um, you've probably got it, seen it yourself. If if um, you're having to travel and you know you're going to get a beating, it's hard to rouse numbers to get you know <laughs> to get any sort of enthusiasm to travel to to get people to come five hours to get their butts kicked and then five hours back home. Um, but luckily, we've been on the we've. Um, We've never had a problem with that, really. Not not in the last couple of years. Numbers have always been good, and I think our women. The last couple of times our women have gone to, um, to Bristol and Cardiff, we actually had more players than the home team. So that was that was really edifying to see them to see the girls turning out in good numbers for us. Yeah, really representing the club. That's probably been one of the better things that's happened to the club in the last few years. You know, when we started our women's team a few years ago, that's just really boosted numbers. We all mix so well socially and, and even we train together. We don't have separate men's and women's training. We all train together um, and it's really boosted the club in a big way, um, both our profile and, you know, and just how we are as a club. How, how did the um, women's team starting come about? <sighs> We we stopped saying no. <laughs> well, you, in terms of to, to maybe elaborate, so you would get um, an inquiry. Do you have a women's team? And you're like, well, no, not really. We don't know. Um, and then you get another inquiry. Do you have a women's team? No, well, we don't. And eventually, we just suckered some poor soul and said, yeah, we've got a women's team. And then when she came along, she found it was her. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that it was basically sort of like that. I know I'm sort of maybe joking a little bit, but um, when Alex come along, she she was a bundle of energy, really enthusiastic about the game. Um, kind of got the club and recruited like mad. Um, and we just threw as much weight as we could behind her and her efforts. And it's like what Laurie says, we. We train together as one. We'll maybe separate out, you know, if there's a game coming up or something like that. If it, something needs a, a little focus, then that's what we'll do. But 90, 95% of the time, we train together. But yeah, just stop saying no. Be more welcoming. It's not difficult. <laughs> yeah, no. And then you're right, and there was a couple of key drivers in those early days, you know, like, like, like Alan said, you know, Alex and Liz and really driving the club forward and, and big on recruitment, and that really boosted the numbers quickly. And, and then it, once you got a, 
a ground base set up, then you can really expand, and that, that's kind of what's happened. And the yeah, same nothing. again, you know, bringing girls from rugby, and it's it's really helped with with recruitment. Sorry, Alan. Okay. I think a lot is we also need to pay a little nod to Mars at the Southeast London Giants because she, yeah. she although she plays for a different club, she's she's um, got a bit of responsibility within the London League, but she's always been a really good supporter of our club. She's came to training and, you know, different things. She comes to training quite often with us. Um, so I think that the, the sort of wider Aussie Rules community have been quite helpful in, in getting us up and running. Yeah, we had, no, I agree. Uh, totally. When we had done the interview with the Giants, we had Maz on and she did seem like a very big proponent for the game, not just in London, but England as a whole. Um, I think having her involved in your club in any way would be you know, beneficial and fantastic. Um, You've mentioned about recruiting. How do you guys go about recruiting, not just for the women, but the men's side as well? Oh, that, that's, a, that's a tough one to ask. It's, it's kind of just been that we, we've just spread the word out. And, and as we've said, we've looked at other codes, looked at rugby, looked at Gaelic, you know, tried to tap into those areas. It's more just been general word of mouth rather than active recruiting. Um, we do a bit on the Brighton social pages. Typically, you know, there, there's a couple of Aussies in, in Sussex or Aussies in Brighton kind of, you know, we're always just putting notifications on there saying, look, just come down to training. Even if you don't want to play, just just come down, be part of it. You know, we're, we're a good little community here. Um, particularly, you know, when you've come to the other side of the world, you want to have people around around you that can support you, help you. And that's what we do for one another. So we've tried to get into the community a little bit more as well. But that's always the tough task in those clubs outside of London is recruiting. Because you don't have those were, natural Aussies come, come along. If we were being corporate, Laurie, we would say our uh, recruiting has been quite organic. Yeah. But I think that's more kind of, it's more kind of scattergun. We just, you know, just, try everything. Don't we? Yeah, uh, there's nothing have, formal as such. Have blokes like Paddy saying, I don't really think soccer suits you, mate. Maybe you should come play a different game, play Aussie rules. Yeah, yeah, we, we might as simple to... as that, really. We might have to try that recruiting tact ourselves. I think we'll, uh, just, <laughs> yeah. just walk down to the local soccer ground, just go yeah. to everyone. Nah, mate, you got a shit, yeah. nah, you got a terrible yeah. this game. Yeah. <laughs> but it works sometimes that you know, if, if a couple of us are just having a kick of the footy in Preston Park on a Sunday afternoon. You will get people ask, or they'll say, oh, I saw that on telly years ago. Um, or it's been on BT Sport here, you know, regularly the last couple of years. And people are aware of Aussie rules, maybe not to the extent they understand how the game works and is played, but they, they, they at least know of it. So if they see, see a couple of people having a kick in the park, people's natural curiosity, particularly if you're a sport nut, like people like me and Alan, will give anything a go. We, I would go and ask someone, what's that game, etc. Um, you know, that, that only helps. He's lying, by the way. Ultimate <laughs> I didn't say we, we were good at it. I'd just say we'd give it a go or we're curious on it. <laughs> when, when you get pushed off your training pitch by the ultimate Frisbee team, that's just, that was a step too far, boys. That was, just, that was, <laughs> that was done, man. That was annoying when they turned up before us, yes. But the thing is, we, we, we train, um, we used to always train on Preston Park, which, which is just a big, it's just cancelled parkland. You can use it for anything. 
sometimes you can have training and people try and pitch their picnics uh, there and they soon, they soon uh, learn to move. But um, and we've tried, well, of late, we've been playing our home games at, at Hove Rugby Club. Um, at least when we train there, we do have the whole rugby pitch to use. Yeah, so we mix it up between the two. Should have recruited all those ultimate Frisbee players. We actually played against a team a couple of years ago. And uh, as a team, we play, you know, a couple of times every year. And I said, mate, you got a few guys out there I haven't seen before. Who are these new guys? He goes, oh, they were ultimate Frisbee players playing on the park next to us. It was short numbers. We asked them to come play footy. Now they've been playing footy for us. And all of them were quick. So you, you missed the recruiting opportunity there when you were yeah. throw, throwing their fris- Frisbee and go and piss off, chase that. <laughs> Get yeah, we, we, one young guy on the team, I ain't chasing him. He naturally plays wing because he is fast. Um, yeah, I, I'm never lining up on him. He, he, he can, oh, he leaves dust behind. A bit like when right, um, Cody tries to chase the roadrunner. He ain't got no chance. It was that game in the, when we played, played the London Swans, Laurie, and I get told I was going on for pop, and I was like, well... Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'll play in the same. I'll play in the same sort of area of the field, but he's. I'm double his age, man. Come on, <laughs> I'll do what I can. So we we of- have got a few people over forty, like, like myself and and Alan, and you know, we've got the skills, but um, yeah, certainly not the speed. Uh, that's all right. There's, uh, we're in the same boat over here. <laughs> There's not a lot of speed between Ma- us over Maybe here. you, mate. Maybe you. Mate, come on. <laughs> Laurie's, be- Laurie's being very kind. I've just ticked over into my 50 second gear. <laughs> yeah, right, um, I'm just trying to... I just, I just love the game and I just want to keep myself as fit as I can. And I've always... We've, we've struggled for numbers over the years, as Laurie sort of alluded to. And I always keep waiting to be retired. I thought, right, I just, you know... If I if I sit on the bench, if I you know, if I'm fit enough to do that and you know, if the club needs me and that's fine, I'll keep but recruiting was I need to recruit people so that I can bloody well retire. <laughs> nah, you'll never retire, Alan. You'll still be there in seventy with a Zimmer frame in the forward pocket. Yeah, I think you've been listening to Fiona. She says that I'm never gonna retire. <laughs> but like you what? said, it's just the love of the game sometimes. I don't ever want to retire. I'd be devastated if I was told I could never play again. Even if I'm just out there, get a couple of kicks in a game. It's just... Yeah, it's just you're retired for a long time. You you know, once you stop, it's hard to get back into it. We're going to... After our year off, it's going to be a bit hard to get back into it. But, you know, we we got guys over here that one, one of the guys that umpires for us, he's uh, 68, I think, this year. And he's playing over 55 so got an over 55s competition he's gonna coach and play in so we just keep adding new age groups as all the guys keep getting older so we just have to recruit some more 50 year olds and get a 50s comp going now yeah that sounds ideal it does (laughs) that's probably why we play in the social league as well because so that some of us old boys can still play that's all right so how long ago was the, the club founded and, and, you know, why did they choose the Swans when they started the club? Alan, you're well, our history expert. Yeah, so 30 years ago, um, so this is our, we've been doing a lot of planning at the moment for our 30th anniversary. Um, and we never chose the Swans, actually. We, um, 
we found some old documents and uh, the guy Julian Clark, who was the kind of driving force at the time, he was a he was an Essendon fan. Um, so he wanted to call the club the Brighton Bombers, um, but the the league were saying no, not your the Swans. So it seems like there was a bit of a argument at the time, but the league won over and we were the Swans. Um, I think from about context, I think we're talking six or seven years after the IRA bombed Brighton. So I think you could maybe see why calling the team the Brighton Bombers wouldn't be the best, <laughs> wouldn't be the best brand <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sydney yeah, supply, didn't, didn't Sydney supply the first few kits as well? They did, yeah. They were, they were very good to the club at the time. So the club were playing... Yeah, 18 aside in the in the barful. So that had teams. It was mainly London, but um there was a lot of teams. Bristol were there, um, there was a team up in Liverpool, Birmingham. It was pretty much countrywide. Um and then I think around two thousand and five, um, things were really going well for the club. So they formed um a second club to be based in London. We were based in Crawley at the time, which is sort of Gatwick Airport, halfway between Brighton and London. Um, so the London club became successful and the uh, the team based in Sussex sort of changed direction a little bit and started playing um, nine-a-side. Um, and then eventually we just kind of parted ways, not, not through any any uh, big fallout or anything, but just, you know, one one's up playing 18s, the other's playing nines, and we just became two separate clubs. So I think, yeah, we've, um, we had some good years when we were playing nine aside, but then numbers-wise, I think Laurie alluded to that again, we were down to five people sometimes for training. Um, we got very good at running four-person drills, to be honest. If you want any four-person <laughs> drills, just hit us up. We're, we've got a ton of them. <laughs> well, that, that handball typewriter drill. Yeah, but, um, but we got through it. We got through it, and now we're, um, we've got a, a very successful women's team. We've got good numbers for the men. We'll see when we get to London how, how we stack up against them, but um, we're well coached at the moment. We've got a couple of good coaches with us, um, Andrew and Dom. And as Laurie said, we've got a couple of uh, very experienced Australians that keep the rest of us in, in check. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a whistle stop tour. When we return to London, because obviously there's going to be two Swans teams, which a lot of people might go, how are you allowed to have two teams with the same emblem as such but that's kind of how it came about that's why you've got london swans and then sussex swans we were once yeah. the same club and obviously split for a while and now we've both returned well we've returned to that league that they play in we had we had sort of become not estranged but we just we'd gone our separate ways they're playing 18s we we're playing nines we had the odd little friendly but it, God, it was like every eight years or something like that um but we've become a lot closer to them um, in recent years. Um, games yeah, the women have played. We've got a lot of together in that now, don't we? It's, it's yeah. a good relationship between us and the London Swans. 
because we, we don't have a lot of teams in this country and we're all we're all fighting to try and build the profile of the sport you know nationwide so life's too short for we don't go on with that team and we don't go on with this team life's too short and the community's too small we just need to all chip in together yeah no I, I could, I'm, all I'm going to say Rich is I think someone across the pond uh People across the pond could learn a thing or two from the people in England. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, oh, okay. <laughs> so, I need so... to listen to a few more of the podcast. <laughs> I've, I've listened to a few, but um, obviously there was a few spicy ones from our US neighbours. More off-camera stuff, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um, anyway, so you mentioned how you, know, you guys are going to move into back to London. You've already got the London Swans up there. Now, they where what traditional swan colours are, the red and the white. You guys are you know, more of a blue or a white. What we love on this show is unique logos and unique jumpers, and you guys got both of them. Where did the decision to you know, go with the blue logo come from, the decision on making the logo and the jumpers? You know, how did that design come about? Where did it come about? Well, the blue and white is very much bright in colours. So those of you that follow the Premier League, blue and white is the traditional Brighton and Hove colours you know, by the sea, et cetera, as well. Um, so that's where the blue and white, the change, because they've had various jumpers throughout the years. There was red and white. There was black and yellow. What else was there, Alan? Black and red. There was, they've had loads of different colours. Right? Yeah. So a couple of years ago that they decided on blue and white, and that's going to be the, the direction of the club um, for the next few years. And at the moment, we've got a design where we've got a Swan logo on the front. The women have got the Brighton Pavilion, on the front of their kit. Um, we're going to amalgamate the two over the next few years, going down that uh, royal blue, you know, blue and white of, of Brighton, and we'll probably have maybe something like a swan on the front. We haven't quite decided yet, uh, but that's where the, the jersey's looking. But we went to blue because we, we needed a kit for the, the women's team at the time. Um, and they are two, the two main teams that they would be playing were going to be um, the London Swans and um, Mazzy's team, the Giants. And at the time, the men were playing in the sort of gold and black kit. So we were sort of struggling, thinking, well, we're going to be clashing with the two teams that we're most likely to play when we get games up and running. So that's why we, we sort of kept a lot of the... tried to keep a lot of the, the, the Sydney you know, the emblem and the shape and the swan and stuff, but just use the, the colours that are sort of linked with Brighton through the through the soccer. Yeah. But and we've had a guy... Are... Who, Sorry, you go out. I've got to say, Laurie, we've got a guy who's sadly no longer with us, um, Sam Dixon. He... Kit design was really Sam's speciality. He's a, he had a passion for that, didn't he, Laurie? And a lot yes. of our yeah, kids... A lot of our kits were designed by Sam. So I think some of the things we try to do now with the kit design and stuff are sort of almost guided by what Sam would have done, if that makes sense, boys. Yeah. yeah. So um, Sam's the guy that really kept the club running, particularly in those days when it was at its minimal numbers. He was the one guy that really pushed it through. So... We've named, we've actually named our Clubman of the Year award after him that we just started last year. 
or two years ago now as well, just, just in honour of him uh, after he passed, unfortunately. Yeah, it's um, unfortunate that uh, such a figurehead of the club uh, has passed on, but to honour his memory with the name and an award after him is always uh, a nice thing. Um, and I lost where I was up to, but... <laughs> Um, no, so you've, you've mentioned the women's team a fair bit and uh, that was, it's been a part of the growth of the club. Mm -hmm. So how long ago did the women's team get started? About three years ago, would you say, Alan? Yeah. Time flies, yeah, maybe four. Oh, maybe yeah, four, I was going four. to see it. It's probably four or five. It might be. Because last year, everyone's just forgotten about last year. It didn't exist. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah. It could be four or five. God, that seems like yeah. That was yeah. um that was, that was quite <laughs> that was quite interesting, boys, because our first game, you know, you've seen them train and you, you think they're all right. Do you know what I mean? But you've not actually played anyone. So we went down to Cardiff and um our first game was against Cardiff. So um ball up, we get going. We score the first behind. I'm like, well, okay, good. We're on the scoreboard first. That's all right. Um, you know, get going again. We score the first goal. And I turned around to the, the fellow that was on the bench with me and I said, I think we've actually got something here. I think this is real. I think we've actually got a team that's good. It was just that, um, that validation of seeing them playing on the pitch. That was the first thing. But... You, you don't want them to be crap, basically. <laughs> you want they to know that you've given them some sort of form of direction. And yeah, they were, um, that was a really proud day. Really proud day. I know my favourite day as a Swan was um, that Bristol tournament. That must have been three years ago, four years ago. We took that a men's right team out to Bristol for a tournament with some good teams there. And both of us won our respective comps. And that's when I knew that Exactly that moment, Alan. I thought, geez, we've got a really good club going here. And just the camaraderie and, and just the atmosphere of, you know, A, it helps when you both win, of course, then you get well excited. But, um, yeah, that was when, for me, I knew that this, this club's going places and the women's I team think, in particular. Yeah, I think I had seen a lot more of the, the, the women's early games than, than most yeah. of the guys. So I had a good, I, I would always come back to training or whatever, you know, on the WhatsApp and whatever, just they were brilliant. They were brilliant. They're really good. And then I think when more of the guys saw them, they, as Laurie said, you know, yeah. And I think Bristol was a kind of breakout performance because we had the the men's team there as well. So, you know, that was good being able to get around each other because normally when we play, you just go and it's the team. And you play and you win or you lose or whatever, and you're on your own. But having the having the men's team there to support the women, having the women's team there to support the men, that was a good good club day. Yeah, it was quite emotional, but because that was only a couple of God, Laurie, what was it? Like a week, a fortnight after Sam had passed away. Yeah, soon afterwards, it was like, yeah, I think that helped because as in the emotion of that day, I just yeah, it was something else. One of those days where you know get all corny now where. Sport transcends into another level, if you want to call it that. It was just one of those days. Yeah. So somebody yeah. said to me on the day, do you want to make a, do you want to say a few words? And I, 
not really, no. <laughs> I cry. But yeah, dragged something out from somewhere. He's, um, he was, Sam was one of these guys who he, he didn't like a warm-up at all, boys. He didn't like, didn't like a warm-up. So you would start training. We got to the stage where we would stop waiting for Sam. We would just start, start doing the warm-up. And then he would come out the bushes somewhere and plonk his stuff down. Oh, have you started already? And you're like, you know we've started already. <laughs> you do it every week. <laughs> but he was a bugger. He would play in Converse trainers, wouldn't you, Laurie? Yeah. yeah. Play in so, Converse trainers and just never slip, never fall over. And you're like, how, how can you do that? <laughs> Uh, sounds like he would have uh, fitted in nicely at our club. We've got a few guys that uh, I think have have worked out to time it perfectly that they rock up just as warm ups finishing to to hit the track at a, that right time. Look, yeah, I'll put my hand up. I was guilty for that of ten years. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we they pushed training back fifteen minutes, and then they were still wondering why I was getting there at six thirty, not six fifteen. <laughs> yeah, well, we tried all of those, and we thought, nah, no. Now, one of the things we, we like, you know, when we're researching a club, we sort of check out your social medias and something we came across was the Swans Tour de Oz um, with the, the sort of challenge you guys did with the Together for Mali. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag Together for Mali where you did... Um, Walk, run, cycle, challenge. Uh, yeah, sort of fill us in on what that was about, and then how it all went. One yeah, one of our sure. team members, yeah, his daughter. Um, you know, we were raising money and, and awareness of, of her particular condition. We wanted to do something. You know, as we've said a few times, you know, we're all here together. We all help each other out. We've we started um, a peloton group, so a cycling group, which kind of just it started with one of our members here, Xavier, just keen cyclist, and there's just kind of exploded. Like virtually more than half the team is now in a cycling group. Um, that's been one of the successes of lockdown last year. But one of the things we wanted to do with like, right, how can we raise money uh, for James and, he, and, and his daughter here? So we started to cycle to Oz. Uh, we've got a, a really good social media guys. So it was Patty that, that put that together for us uh, and Mick with the um, just logging our miles on, on Strava and we just go out there and run and cycle and walk and do whatever we can and, and got ourselves around Australia. Yeah. It's a bit bigger than Scotland, I found out, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Australia, quite big. <laughs> yeah, it was um, mate, uh, unbelievable effort. Do you know the total Ks, Ks that were put in? I didn't see the number four. I should know, but I can't remember. Can you 14, remember? 14,000 or something, was it? Sounds about uh, right. I was going to say about 16, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, not going to argue. We've no. got some very keen cyclists that certainly put in the Ks uh, during that and have continued on. Like I said, that's, that's where I go about one of our missions is not just to be a footy club, but to be kind of a social club as well. And having the cycling club has sort of done that. Um, you know, where we, we had a Friday night kind of pub crawl. Well, it's not a pub crawl, but we go on a 40k bike ride and just happen to include a couple of pubs in it along the way. 
you know, how funny that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they were good. And they're, they're things that, that really bring a club together, though, isn't it? It's those off-field activities. Yeah. Having a cycling club and a running club that Alan and Dom have organised, those sorts of things. And they help with recruitment. You know, we've pulled in a couple of people that have seen us out and about on our bikes and have come to the club to join the, the cycling club. But we're going to, when we're allowed to train again, we'll bring them down to training as well. And listen, we'll learn how to, you can learn how to kick and how to play. You know, our vice president here, Dom, he gives uh, what's called Dom's Clinic. So any newbies are more than welcome to come down to the club and, and he'll teach them how to, how to kick and handball. And, and, you know, we'll welcome anyone of all abilities. Yeah, and I think we found, Laurie, that any sporting background, um, we had um, Albert, you know, the, with the Spanish lad, he came along to training and he, um, he said to us, oh, you know, he, he played um, handball. I think, right, handball, okay. But what I quickly found out is that those handball players, you can hit any kind of crap pass to them and they'll catch it and it'll stick. <laughs> His marking ability was unreal, but I think the movement, some of the girls come from basketball, netball backgrounds, and some of the movement that they bring you know, the movement off the ball that they bring to those sports um, really stands them in good stead. We yeah. used to be quite narrow in terms of if they play soccer, then yeah, we'll have them and oh yeah, Gaelic as well. And we didn't look much further than that, but I think maybe as you get more experienced coaching or whatever, you, you realise that other sports do have um, sort of a lot of transferable skills. Yes. Go around the local basketball courts and look for people that are missing all their shots and go, no, nah, this game's not for you. Come give no, footy a try. We could put him in the back, full back, son. Well, like the doctors like that in our team, he's, he was a rugby guy. Um, well, Miguel, um, our icon, Miguel, he's kind of an enigma in the forward line. They're both rugby boys. Um, just love tackling. But we've, they've learned how to kick, how to mark, how to handball, and now they're, they're really vital members of the team. So you, you want mentioned... the girl on your side at training? Yeah, you don't want to be tackled by him. He just, he just, red line, white line fever. Just if you've got the ball, he's D ball, kill person with ball, that kind of mentality. It's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be right with that one. Thanks. I think I'm. Right. <laughs> um, as you mentioned before, you know, you got you know, the cycling group and that type of stuff. What are some of the social side of the thing, uh, social side of the club you guys have, what functions that you guys hold, type of stuff? Yeah, well, we've had those, like I said, the Friday night bike ride was really popular last year when we were allowed. Um, that was really good. And then outside of that, we've had a long-time sponsor here, the King and Queen pub in the middle of Brighton, a very, um, I think it's a grade two listed building, an old building in the middle of Brighton, you know, done up in that Tudor fashion. But they've been our long-time sponsors and we tend to have our, our functions there. You know, after a match, we know we'll meet there at, seven o'clock, eight o'clock and have a few beers together because we don't have club rooms as such. So the King and Queen is kind of our, our pseudo club rooms. Um, and we do our functions there. You know, we'll watch matches. So if there's a big, big game, he'll record it for us and we'll go there and watch it. You know, it's hard to stay off the scores. You know, there's always some bugger that's seen the score and can't resist a cheeky smile or something. But um, we do it there. And we, we, we had our first for a long time official sort of end of season presentation night 
couple of years ago uh, there, which was fantastic. You know, we had like a gala, gala event and all got dressed up and had a proper best and fairest rather continue doing that that was really successful really good yeah i think laurie you're being a bit modest as well aren't you because um you've done quiz nights in the past for us yeah i quite enjoy those we've done a couple of fundraising quiz nights they were good fun that's right it's good to see all the creative ways the clubs have been able to stay connected to their their players and stuff as well and you guys are doing a great job and I see. Unfortunately, you didn't get to do one of your charity events, uh, the swim in the, um, uh, no. the 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 charity Sussex uh, New Year's swim. Which oh, that would have been a shame not getting to jump in the I've water. I've never done that. it. I've always wanted uh, to do that swim on New Year's Day and just never done it. I was kind of semi glad it wasn't ahead because I was panicking. But um, yeah, it was a real shame. Linda put that together where we we're going to raise money for local uh, homeless uh, charity which, you know, we, we did the fundraising anyway, and we gave some money to the Brighton Homeless Charity to help people, but we just didn't get to do the swim, unfortunately. Uh, maybe next Christmas. Not unfortunately. It's not unfortunately. I was in the sea. One of the guys said, look, if, we're, if, if this is going to happen, maybe we should go in for a little dip before it. It's about eight degrees at the minute, the seawater. And when the outside temperature, I think it was minus one this morning, the wind blowing like hell. It's not unfortunate. It was quite, I was quite glad it was cancelled. We can still give money <laughs> and it'll happen. And it'll happen in the middle of summer when the sea's more uh, the sea's more inviting. We did have quite a few good swims this year as a club where it was, I know on our hottest days, the, the WhatsApp group about three o'clock, you could almost, you knew it was going to happen. The yeah. text went out who's up for a swim tonight and sure enough bang 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 everyone was like yeah and they ended up we had loads of people back when we were all allowed to see each other etc um it was good times it's a good beach to swim on no sand i know i know there's no sand but uh, that's a good thing i hate sand so it's why i like the beach <laughs> oh you'd love Brighton then yeah you'll fit in fine over here come over sand getting to spots where nothing should go to <laughs> yeah well you, you might come home from a swim here and you might find pebbles where they shouldn't be yeah but easier to get out though than sand <laughs> <laughs> you'd like to hope so <laughs> uh, yeah. but but i don't know about new year's mate i don't think you're going for a dip over there in new year's so i'm not going for a dip in australia in new year's mate there's people <laughs> on the beach watching the fireworks Oh, well, yeah, maybe this year, maybe this year. Because it was a good idea. Um, and why not? Do crazy now, things. That's what footy clubs are for, to do crazy things. Now, with yeah. that, we've spoken to a lot of clubs around the world, and they all get involved in raising um, money for their community, similar to what you guys are doing for the, uh, the New Year's Swim. What are some other things you guys have tried to raise money for or have raised money for in events like that? Yeah, we, um, we raised money for the Bushfire Appeal last year. Um, obviously, like I said, when, when one of our, one of our teammates, his daughter was ill, we did, we did that fundraiser riding around Australia. I'm trying to think of some of the others. Yeah. One of the things we had wanted to do, Laurie, was, um, to help, uh, Andrew's wife 
the Lisa, the charity that she's involved with, yeah. and oh, was get it wrong. I'm going to say Cambodia. It's probably Vietnam. Um, but she um, she helps raise money for uh, a charity there that um, helps provide schooling for the kids there, doesn't she? Yeah, um, so we had hoped to do, like at our barbecues and stuff, we had hoped to raise money um, for the charity, but we, just, we never had games. Um, that was on the list. Yeah, that's, that's on the list. That's, that's definitely, it didn't happen. It's going to happen. It will happen. Yeah. yeah. And I guess also as a club, you know, it's hard to raise funds for us. Being an Aussie rules club, it's hard to find sponsors as well. You know, we've had the King and Queen, our, our, our resident pub, be a long-time sponsor for us. Um, you know, we've got a coffee house that's helped with the Pelicanos down here in Bright a Brighton-based coffee house. They've got like four venues around the city. There's a nice plug there for them. Um, you know, they've sponsored towards the, the, the cycling club, but it's always hard finding in a, where Aussie rules isn't well known, it's hard to find sponsors. Yeah, it's all right, mate. We, uh, we find it hard to find sponsors over here ourselves and everyone knows what Aussie rules is. They just don't give a shit. All right. Okay. I don't feel so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now. Nah. Mate, uh, you guys have done some great work raising, um, you know, money for the charities and stuff. And it's one of the things that um, we're we're learning about with all the clubs over in uh, not only England but Europe and and even America that they do great work within their communities and um, you know, and even for the charities back at home, which is uh, fantastic. But um, yeah, ho hopefully. All, all this time in lockdown, it's given you guys plenty of time to think of all new creative ideas to to raise some it more has. money for different things. And um, you'll there's a lot of money I'm ready to go. I think well, it's not just the money, is it, Laurie? We've no. Let's, we, you you've made the offer to our sponsor pub, haven't you? That if when they're getting ready to open again, if they need hands, if they need you yeah. know a working bee put together. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll happily provide the labour just to that's help little, out our sponsors. Yeah. Particularly with a sponsor, you've got to show that it's a two-way relationship. And that's why, you know, I extended that hand out. We'd be more than happy to help. No, no, it's great to hear. It's going to take a fair bit for them to get back on their feet once, uh, once lockdown ends. Most of our guys just think the only way they can help a pub is by drinking their beer. So... Um, well, we do that too. We definitely do oh, that, too. To that too. That's the yeah. why we're helping to decorate so it can get open and we can get in there. Not, yeah, well, that's it's the main not, thing. Not too, uh, motives aren't too charitable. Come on, man. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you're just, our, you just want the pub to open again, Alan, so you can watch Rangers win the trophy finally. Yeah. In a pub environment, that, that, not home. Yeah, that is that. Oh, well, I think it's time to uh, throw some of your teammates under the bus, and I'm sure you might end up throwing each other under the bus at some stage. <laughs> um, but, yeah, for our first one, who who at the club is the biggest class clown or joker? Well, it has to be Monty, doesn't it, Alan? Monty, he's a bit like a hurricane where he just comes into a room Whirls and like um, the Tasmanian Devil, whirls and whirls around, causing lots of havoc, and then passes out in the corner. 
No, he doesn't do that. He, he's the one guy that you, you can't help but smile when he's in the room. He's always joking, always having a laugh. And um, he's currently with the club mum, if you want to call it. She's known as the club mum is our Linda. So she's probably good for him in that respect as well. <laughs> Linda should get a medal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should. so I think it's got to be Monty. Yeah, there's no even, there's no discussion. Next. <laughs> Thanks, <Sarah>. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wasn't around him when the Bulldogs won in 16. He would have been, uh, he's, he's shown us the photos anyway. Right. He arrived at the club soon after that. Nice. All right, so who's the biggest party animal? Party animal? It's probably our girls. You know what? The girls can probably, they can party harder than a lot of the blokes can. I know for me, it's been hard during lockdown and there's, there's four of them um, live in one house. So you've got Ruth and Bella and Becca and Kira watching their house parties together because obviously they're allowed because they all live together. It just makes me sometimes sit here on my own on the sofa being like, Ugh, I'm jealous to be mid twenties again and uh, have parties. But uh, be, be be good. But I'd probably put it, give it to them. What do you think, Al? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I yeah, agree. During uh, our first lockdown, I think it was my three or four mates that all lived together, so we're enjoying pretty much a party lifestyle. Why in lockdown? I'm sitting here just watching all you know, their Snapchats and videos, just being like. Uh, screw yeah. you guys. Um, but at that point in time, my wife was pregnant, so I literally was making her drink out of a wine glass, just um, just soda water to make it feel like she was drinking with me, so I didn't feel like an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> one night, I remember there was one night on a Friday night, they had a pub crawl. They said, watch out for the pub crawl, and they put this on Insta. I'm thinking, what? And they'd done every bedroom in their house was a different <laughs> themed pub. So one was in, and they finished in the lounge room, which was a nightclub or something like one was a Hawaiian bar and one was a traditional. It was just hilarious just to watch them do it. It's, it's amazing well, the, um, the lengths people will go to keep themselves entertained when they're just stuck inside <laughs> four walls for, for weeks on end. They put proper, proper effort into it too, making each room really themed for their pub crawl on the Friday or the Saturday night. Yeah. The, th yeah, the thing is, that would have been. Let's do this. We're gonna. The idea would have taken up a few days. Getting it done would have been exciting. Doing it would have been exciting. The next day, hungover, needed to clean up would have just been an absolute nightmare. Yeah, and no Macca's <laughs> yeah. run because it was shut then as well, yeah. so you couldn't get the McDonald's breakfast in the morning. Instant <laughs> yes. hangover cure, but yeah, so it, it was it a, you know, a true pub pub crawl without the Macca's next morning. Maybe they should have converted their kitchen into a make-do McDonald's for uh, yeah. We had, uh, we had a pub golf one year, and I oh, I was a disaster. We um, you know, it was the usual. This 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 first hole is a par four, and you need to drink this drink in less than four skulls or whatever. And we had this bottle for um, if you were out of bounds or whatever, any foul shots, you had to have a a drink out of this bottle and God knows what was in it. But I had set about it at quite a pace and I was doing all right and I never had to go near this bottle and I just got bored and I thought, oh, here, give me that. Like, I just want a drink. I want a real drink. Oh, by about six o'clock at night, I was sitting on someone's, and that's it. Never, never met the guy before, really, sitting on his um, front doorstep 
being sick all over the pavement. I thought, yeah, yeah. Good night, this pub's pub. We have a Christmas pub crawl every year that we didn't get to have last year, which was rather frustrating. The, the very swanness, we call it, the 12 pubs of swanness. Um, so I'm 12 unlucky pubs in a certain area of Brighton get us to frequent them um, on a day in December when it's freezing cold, but it's always a good laugh. And sometimes those similar results end up. <laughs> yeah. I had to behave in the last one because I was dressed as Jesus. So I had That's to. You want to. I had to rein in my behaviour a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, give, we'll give the party title to the girls anyway. Definitely. Uh, so who's the person that takes the game far too seriously? Well, our coach, Drewy, I think he takes the game to a whole nother level when he's playing. He's, a, he's the nicest guy when he's coaching and, and talking to us, et cetera, and he loves the game. But uh, yeah, as soon as he puts the, the boots on, he's out in the field. It's Drewy's uh, takes it very seriously. Does, um, does Mick get a shout for that? Yeah, he gets white line fever as well, doesn't he, when he's on the pitch? Once again, same thing. Nice as pie off the field. And he'll, and he'll come off the field and his two daughters will be there and he'll be like, give him a hug and kiss him and, well, have you had a daddy go? Good. But then as soon as he's back on the field, that's it. There's a whole nother bloke. There's a whole nother bloke out there. <laughs> Love it. Uh, who's the, the person at the club you wouldn't want to room with on a trip? Oh, I wouldn't say Monty. You'd never see Monty. I would. I would deliberately pick him because you'd yeah. have a room to your own. Yeah, he'd be. He'd, he'd fall asleep in someone else's room. Yeah, on the floor. I probably, maybe Shanahan. You'd never get a wink sleep. He's a night owl. You'd still. He would still be pestering you at five o'clock to have another beer in the morning when you're just like yeah but we're going home in two hours i don't know it's a tough on that one uh, we I'm have had a few trips away where we've all bunked together um you know where we'd have eight of us in the same room on double bunks in a hostel in manchester or what have you uh i won't tell your story here will don't worry um <laughs> i'll leave that one there but things like that we've, we've all got to know each other pretty well on some of these away trips uh, or the Swan Caravan we had in Bristol, where I think was supposed to only sleep eight, and we ended up with like sixteen in there somehow. Yeah, we went to we went to the Champions League in Amsterdam a few years ago, and um, I booked myself into a separate little old man's room for I think it was three or four of us. Nah, leave the leave the young team to it. We'll just have the old boys' quarters. <laughs> We're hoping to go to the Champions League next time. We have qualified, so uh, we might have we might defer this answer until after we get to go. How, how was your weekend that you guys got to uh, go to Amsterdam for the Champions League? From what we've heard, it's an absolute ripper of a weekend. Yeah. Well, it was different class. We um we were uh, we were outplayed um, on the day terribly. Um, <laughs> I think one of the games against the Wildcats, the West London Wildcats, what was it, Laurie? I think between in the twenty-one in the twenty minutes, they had twenty-one scoring shots. This is nine aside. 
it was just brutal, boys. It was brutal. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it was a we good qualified. Game. Yeah, we qualified by winning the Southern League, um, which was maybe not as strong uh, at the time. And yeah, we were going up against the the big clubs of of, of Europe and got well and truly our asses spanked. But then off we the are- pitch. From what I hear, the boys held their own. Oh, we've done okay. And in reality, yeah. that's all that matters. I'm not sure Ant <laughs> even remembers the whole weekend. No, that, that last game, Laurie, we need to give a shout out to Grant because we were, um, it was like, oh God, that was what it was, the 15th, 16th place playoffs or something like that. <laughs> and we're playing the, what was it, the Styrian Down Under Dogs. I think they're, um, I think they're, based in Austria Austria yeah and um, Grant says to us he says right come on we've been getting beat all day we're not going to get beat with these Norwegian bastards and we're like <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> I think he had just too many hits to the head that day or something <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, that, that gets brought up every now and then yeah, as long as we can, don't get beat with these Norwegians, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and finally, who's got the best nickname at the Swans? I knew this one was coming up. I was playing on the pitch about a couple of years ago, and um, this one of our teammates, he'd been called Fish, Sea Bass, uh, Salmon, it, basically anything that looks like fish, he got called. And I remember my te- uh, the opposition player looking at me going, how many nicknames has this guy bloody got? <laughs> it just made me laugh. His name's Sebastian, but I've never ever called him, ever heard him call that. He's just fish. Well, F- Sebastian became sea bass. So a lot of people call him sea bass. And of course, sea bass mutated into fish. <laughs> just sometimes but it, it, any variation of fish he'll accept. So it's probably going to be sea bass, I thought. Which in itself... It's just a ridiculous nickname. <laughs> yeah. Any others out? I'm glad, I'm glad you picked that one because I get granddad, which annoys me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, like, you can see my 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 haircut, you know, it gives away. So I've, I've got a lockdown haircut, so you can see it's not even grey anymore. It's white. Yeah. So when we've, we've got games coming up, it goes to a full number zero, boys, <laughs> so that you can't see the colour of it. <laughs> We also have a boo as well. And they go, well, yeah. how'd you get boo? Well, because my brother's name's Yogi. <laughs> it couldn't be any different from Boo Boo. Boo Boo's this tiny little thing, and our boo's this six foot four behemoth of a man who shouts and screams when you he, he's one of those guys you know he's on the field. As he's chasing someone, well, I say chasing, lumbering after <laughs> someone, and he'll be the shouting at them. The socks are undone, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and put the opponents off but he does it in such a bellowing voice that if he's behind you you do start to panic a little bit yeah so boo is not a bad nickname also that sort of come out of nowhere yeah i don't mind that one at all seems uh i think rifty has frozen on us can you hear us rifty yeah i can hear has frozen though he's and... given us blue steel <laughs> um yeah my computer just froze so i don't know what's going on at the moment i can't See you guys. You've never had a nickname, Laurie, have you? You've just been Laurie. I haven't. I've, I've, I've become through this unscathed. Yeah, that's that's pretty lucky. Um, 
I'm <laughs> just laws. I'll take it. Uh, that's uh, that's well done, boys. That's given us a little project for lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, you, you can't go. You can't go your whole time without getting a nickname for something. Oh, yeah. that's, that's a fair point. Surely done you've done something thing. along the journey to uh to warrant getting poked fun at for. I'm sure there'll be something. Because you can't give yourself a nickname. It doesn't work that way. You're not allowed to. No, we've had plenty that have tried. <laughs> no. We've also had um, a lovely guy and he played for us. He was our best player at the Champions League in Amsterdam. But we do our 3 ones after every game. Um, and we that's how we decide our sort of best on ground. Um, it's a good way to do it, boys. If, see if you grab the notepad and go around everybody, you always pick up a few votes, I found, because people are struggling. And I've picked up a few ones just through having the notepad. So there's, <laughs> there's a tip for you. But um, so one of the days, one of the matches, someone asked Joe Darlin, so Joe, what's your three two ones? And he was like, well, yeah, I think three points for myself. I think I played really well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he he should have got a nickname for that. He escaped. He escaped. Yeah, but he's one. He's I think Joe's kind of typical of the 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 scene here. He was with us for a bit, but now he's he's in the Middle East somewhere. Yeah, they tend um, to move on. A lot of the London League, well, England leagues like that, where you get them for a few years and they either go back to Oz. Or they move to another part of the UK or somewhere else in Europe. It's, it makes it tough for clubs sometimes because there is a, a fair bit of turnover in your, in, your, in your list. I think recruiting's not just the, the be-all and end-all. I think retention um, is also troublesome at times. But we've done well recently retaining. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The retain players, and, you know, as you said, to go from... Five ten on the training track to 40. Thanks for listening to the Cobbercast with the President VP. Uh, if you want to go check out the social media and follow along with all the other clubs that we've spoken to and follow along with our journey, you can head on over to Facebook. You're going to head over to Facebook and follow the Sandown Cobras uh, Football Netball Club for all the previous catalogue videos. Um, Instagram at Sandown Cobras FNC, at Twitter uh, at Sandown Cobras, or you can follow the CobraCast page. Uh, that's at Instagram and Facebook at the CobraCast Press VP. So all one word, and you can subscribe to wherever you get your, your podcast. Just search the CobraCast for the present VP. Lovely. And uh, make sure you subscribe and leave a, you know, give us five stars, mate. Bump yeah, us up yeah. in the world. We're, we're making waves in Germany, apparently. So uh, let's make waves all around the world. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for watching the Cobra Cast with the present VP. And if you need somebody to talk to, why not contact New Life Psychology in Berwick? They are now taking phone appointments. Or you could head to otlr.com.au for tips and info. And we are supporters of TAC's Towards Zero campaign. Head to towardszero.vic.gov.au for more info because zero is the only acceptable number.